Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 74 of Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage Podcast. It's the show in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl, take you, the listener, along with me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. What is that, you ask? Well, it was the truest, most spiritual, emotional, pure, sexual form of being possible, achieved only by watching That's Right Every film, the man, the myth, the legend, the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood, Nicholas Cage, watching every film he's ever been in, and hopefully getting to know a little bit more about ourselves and the man in the process. Now to quickly address the elephant in the room, apologies, again, another apologies for a delayed episode this week. Um, I had a bit of a stomach flu, which uh, took me out of sorts for the duration of the week, so I've had no real spare time to get to editing the podcast until now but thankfully it is all done ready to go and it's a banger of an episode as well by extension um i suppose a historical but for context apology to david brosen who was the guest in this week's episode um as when we recorded this this was peak of my laptop issues of it just cutting out during recording because it of storage and battery issues and this and that and everything that could have gone wrong went wrong in this episode but David Rosen he's a good man and he has the patience of a saint uh thankfully we're able to piece together Lucy little little uh, subliminal plug see what I did there little plug uh able to piece together a still very good podcast episode which you're gonna enjoy I am sure um you may know the name David Rosen as well I guessed it on his podcast earlier this year to talk all about Willy's Wonderland and all the pieces that went into making that. That was a lot of fun. And you'll find that along with all of David's uh, socials and clickables down in the description as well. I've also guested on the Cinema 9 podcast this week, talking all about The Weatherman, one of my personal favourite Nicolas Cage movies. That was a lot of fun. And you can find the link to that episode in the description as well. Travis from the Cinema 9 podcast will be joining me in a few weeks to talk about Arsenal, so that is going to be a good one as well. Without further ado, let's jump into the episode. We'll, of course, get the socials out of the way first, the admin. You can follow me on Twitter at Cage underscore podcast. Follow me on Instagram at Cage Rage Pod. Follow me on all the usual services where you get your podcasts, you know, your Apple, Google, Stitcher, Deezer, Amazon, Spotify's, uh, Podchaser, yeah, anywhere you can leave a rating as well um, that you have the methods to do so, be that Apple, be that Podchaser. Feel inclined to leave a rating, if you so please, that would be very, very helpful as well. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. It is David Rosen joining me, Daryl Edge, to talk about 2016's The Trust. Done. So 2016 kicks off with the first of five films for the golden hog of Hollywood himself with the black comedy crime film The Trust. 
This week, Cage stars as Lieutenant Jim Stone, a cop working in a police department evidence room, when he and his partner discover an unusually high bail receipt in connection to a drug bust. The pair plan to find the source of the money and steal it for themselves. Now, joining me this week on the journey to true Cage Nirvana to see if the trust is a must or just a plain bust, music composer and host of the wonderful Piecing Get Together podcast, David Rosen. David, how are you today? That was an excellent, excellent intro, uh, and and thanks so much for uh, having me on the show, man. This is going to be great. I'm oh, really, really excited to have you on. Um, obviously, for for those who don't know, I've previously uh, spoken. What feels ad nauseum about Cage has been like no other topic in between me, Davey, before over on his podcast, chatting all things Willy's Wonderland. Um, this week we're sort of flipping things around. We're talking about Cage again. A different film in the trust um but always interested to know with guests on the podcast uh because as i say all the time nicholas cage is one of these uh enigmatic um almost absurd idiosyncratic with pop culture figures that you just can't quite put your finger on um for you yourself david are you a fan of nicholas cage I definitely am. Uh, my, my favorite movie is Adaptation. So right there, of course, I love Nicolas Cage because of that. But, uh, you know, he just has such a wide range of of performances over, over all these years, whether it's the action stuff or the drama or comedy or these weird straight-to-video things he does a lot <laughs> lately. Um, but, it, you know, and they're not all great, but, uh, you know, I, I love him. Oh, absolutely. And what's, I mean, I think I'm just trying to convert people at this point, you know, why don't people love him is what I want to know. Adaptation, obviously, one of the absolute uh, creme de la creme of not just Cage films, but, you know, I'm going to put it out there, films in general. And I think as we've touched on before, it's one of those films when, and as much as I hate to say it, it's one of those films when you present to people, no, I swear to you, Nicolas Cage can act. Watch Adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's so true. <laughs> and it's been sort of very, um, you know, up and down. But I think that's part of the joy of his um, career is never knowing what exactly is going to come next. And the trust is one for me, which um, very much uh passed me by was just not on my radar when this came out um was it one that you'd seen before or you were aware of prior to recording so i was definitely aware of it because it was shot here in las vegas and uh, i think they even rented a theater and showed it in the theater for uh one week at the palms uh the brendan palms theater uh and i did not go even though you know i i i did go see uh what was the one where he goes to the Middle East? Um, uh, Army of One? Yes, Army of One. I did see <laughs> that at the Palms. They rented the theater out for a week there um, for that one. But I didn't go to this one because I just based on like the poster and the synopsis, I just thought this was going to be one of those kind of bottom of the barrel direct-to-video ones, you know? And I just was like, eh, maybe I'll see it one of these days. Um, but then I ended up really liking it, which we'll get into as we continue talking about this. <laughs> Um, I mean, obviously touching on Army of One there, uh, 2016 in general, very interesting year <laughs> for yeah. Cage, to say the least. Yeah. I think I think this is definitely, um, and, and obviously I say this with respect to Cage, peak 
straight to video for Cage. Um, yes. <laughs> a year that really sums that up. Obviously, you start with the trust. Um, right in the middle, you've got USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage. You, you finish off with Army of One. Um, you throw Snowden in there um, just to keep mm. people on their toes with what is a, a tantamount to a, a less than two-minute cameo. Yeah, I've just uh, <laughs> I've just spot the cage, um, but I think again this is kind of one of the reasons why um, I just didn't see this film. Like I scanned through it, and I think you go almost from I'd say 2014, especially potentially through to part of 2018, when Cage was just underground almost. Um, which I would say probably peak um, financial cage issues. Sure. Which definitely <laughs> explains some of the uh, choices. Um, had you caught much of his work in this, In this, um, I don't know, the dark years, I think I'd rather right. call it. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly a good way of putting it. And uh, I, I did not. Yeah, I mean, that's when I just kind of had the feeling like, yeah, most of this is just not going to be that good. I, I have a, a low tolerance for the, you know, the, the schlocky, you know, not so great movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, then things started to turn around and now we're, he's still doing like a lot of not so great directive video type movies, but his, the, I guess the ratio is changing now to where there's a lot more uh, interesting performances that he's getting a chance to put in and he's picking a lot better projects lately. I think, you know, Mandy was kind of a big turnaround at that point. A hundred percent. I mean, Mandy, I think to sort of start off your, um, your 2018 really puts you back on the map. And I think a number of the choices of films that we got there, you know, we start with Mandy in 2018, you're ending with Teen Titans Go to the Movies and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Um, even though there's still, as you said, a lot of more of the schlocky films that I think Cage became a bit synonymous with, certainly in the tail end of the 2010s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's it speaks to me there. There's fi- Financially, there's less paying off bones and more putting money in that holiday pot <laughs> yes <laughs> as he can sort of come through or, or the the black diamond for his new wife pot <laughs> supposedly well, wife... that's what he he bought her a black diamond so <laughs> that's that screams cage though like i always kind of forget that um you know his number of marriages aside that he's so deeply into the occult as well mm-hmm. um there was a, a guest i had on a few weeks ago who was saying that they saw him in one of london's leading occult bookshops and just came in with a stack of um, these sort of books, which are like costing hundreds of pounds each because they're so like rare and leather bound and just looked at this cabinet of like a a tiny skull kind of um, necklace thing and just said like, I'll have that. Um, (laughs) Which I suppose when you think of Nicolas Cage's Amazon shopping list, I think, yeah, there's probably a skull in there. Oh, yeah. I'm still waiting for him to come into our record shop. We have a record shop here in Vegas, Wax Tracks Records, and I've heard that he's a vinyl collector. He seems like the type that would be, but he hasn't He hasn't shown up yet, though. <laughs> I think with Cage, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, you know, I can only sort of see, you know, it'll be like a day that you're not in, that you're like, uh, you won't believe it. Nicholas yeah. Cage bought half of our store. Um but yeah, you know, I think he's a big music guy as well. Obviously, I've read that um, big karaoke fan, so I think he's oh, okay. <laughs> quite no, one, no wonder he lives in Vegas then. Yeah, 
I think from his karaoke choices, I know he's quite um, Sex Pistols, Rage Against the Machine, leaning kind of guy. Nice. Um, although, obviously, on the subject of marriages, there is a, a very sad video out there of him post-divorce three or four, where he's singing Purple Rain very, very drunkenly. Um, I think most people are singing it very, very drunkenly when <laughs> when karaoke time comes. <laughs> I suppose going on a tangent, um, if if I had to ask, do you is is there a, a go to song for you? That's your karaoke choice. If you know, proverbial gun to head, you've got to go up there. Uh, I remember doing uh, Saturday in the Park by Chicago. Um, that that was a fun one, <laughs> but I Ooh. don't have a go to choice though. <laughs> I suppose for me, it depends how many how many drinks in I am at oh, that yeah. point. Um, if if I'm due it in, you know, it's it's going to be it's very basic. A sweet home Alabama because that's always a crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a tenacious D tribute. Ooh. Although um, I think just because I can really get into it, I'm a massive fan of Electric Six's Gay Bar. That's a that's okay. a show stealer. If I do yeah. say so myself, I'm sure um, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> although you know, I would just. Maybe that's one of the, the bucket list thing to me is to duet with Cage on a on a karaoke stage. <laughs> I am Feeling very warm. much looking forward to seeing that when that hits YouTube. Oh, um, I think the, the, there'll be no point podcasting after that. I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the, the dream's the been crown realized. jewel right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as much as I'd love to talk about running with the devil in 2019, I don't need to at that point. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've. I've uh, I've duetted with Cage. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, on the subject of Cage and uh, Las Vegas, we come to 2016's The Trust, um, which has been touched on, um, you know, one that you're aware of, one that skipped me by sort of prior to the entire podcast journey for me. Um, but then I saw it had uh, Elijah Wood in. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Elijah Wood. He's one mm-hmm. of those, um, I think, not to... Not to try and put a pigeonhole spin on it, but he seems to be one of Hollywood's nice guys that you can't be disappointed with an Elijah Wood. I don't think. Sure, yeah, and and he's definitely one of those people who, you know, he he had his journey through like the biggest of the big blockbuster Hollywood thing, and then takes that and just moves on to trying interesting roles, whether they're small little movies like this, or you know, weird horror movies, or just you know whatever sparks his interest and. You know, that 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 gets a lot of credit, I think, you know, any actor that takes on stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, in some ways, I suppose you can argue that uh, Elijah Wood and Nicolas Cage have similar trajectories. Sure. That, you know, uh, for Cage, you know, coming off the back of 95 and even Las Vegas, all the action films in the mid-90s as well. Um, it's something I've thought before. He could have very easily rested on his laurels taking a very um safe uh, career path as an action star um mm-hmm. i know there was there's been roles that um he i think it was joe he turned down the expendables 3 4 to do joe you know he could have had a, a resurgence as an action star sure um Elijah Wood in the same sense could have um just been doing sci-fi and fantasy and or just hey, living on that Lord of the Rings money. I'm sure there's... Or just done six ways. more of them, you know? Just <laughs> continue that story. <laughs> I mean, you know, worse ways to make a living than living on that, uh, living on that Hobbit money. That's right. Um, but definitely with, you know, 
um, the roles that they take. They're looking at scripts. They're looking at completely different crews, completely different projects. And um, I suppose for you, when you see um, a Cage and a Wood team up, you know, do, do you think on paper for you that would have been something that would um, would have excited you initially, would have worked? Or what are your thoughts on that? In retrospect, it should have. Like when I first saw, you know, that that these two were doing a movie together. I mean, they're both people who I really like, and so uh, I I wish I hadn't been kind of you know scared away from the direct to video ness of it, which you know I, t- I tend to do. But uh, yeah, but yeah, definitely they're both people who I you know I am fans of. Yeah, definitely, and I think I think I have to agree with that. I think if I'd seen this. Um, in like a local DVD Blu-ray store. Um, and I think again, for like a lot of that 2010, like mid to late 2010 stuff, anytime um, I saw Cage on a Shelf, it was um, this very Photoshopped poster on a DVD cover of him just like running with a gun in his hand. That's, right. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed to be like 90% of the output that I was seeing. And I was like, oh, Cage, it doesn't look like it's... We're having the best time. Uh, little did I know at the time I'd be talking about them all extensively later on down the line. That's right. That's right. Things come back around for you. <laughs> this is the <laughs> this is the circle of life. Um, that that cage senpai has put me on this path to <laughs> test my loyalty to him. Um, but I think on on paper, you know, like I said, it it seems like it should work. to similar actors just. Um, exploring all of the options available to them um i was looking into like a lot of interview points in this and some of them they'll i'll come on to because it, it seems like wood and cage both speak very highly of each other but, but um i don't know if you saw this as well one of the most interesting tidbits that i saw um elijah will be saying in an interview that during shooting they found a dead body on location well <laughs> While shooting. Um, Come to wonderful Las Vegas, everybody. It's a great tourist place. (laughs) If that's not a ringing endorsement for um, Las Vegas, then I I don't know what is. Um, He said they were doing a scene where they break into the cupcake shop where they're going to get the the black market guns ahead of the drilling. Mm. Um, And they said base camp where they had a bunch of cars and trucks parked. There was a dead body in one of the trucks um i think it had been there for like a week or two the smell had basically attracted people to it um mm. and then elijah wood said it didn't affect production but he regretted not going to take a look um <laughs> and then curtailed that with it was a very interesting reminder of how things can go south in vegas uh-huh. um so i mean i don't want to put you on the spot i've never been to vegas i don't want to make assumptions would that ring true in your, in your experience of Vegas that you can just find a dead body one day? Well, I will say I haven't had that opportunity yet to uh, to see a dead body in person like that. But uh, but I will say, though, that I recognize most of this as being that downtown area of Las Vegas, uh, kind of in and around Fremont Street and the Arts District. And while there's been like a huge push to kind of revitalize that area, it's still you know, a little crunchy and, uh, you know, you, you definitely will see some weird stuff though, especially, uh, a lot of those places. It's funny. Um, I I've been down some of those exact same like alleyways and like back streets that they're, they're shooting on. Um, and they're, you know, they're constantly just like 
filthy and filled with trash and there'd be plenty of places to stash someone <laughs> let's just say that <laughs> <laughs> not that we're endorsing hiding bodies in That's las vegas right. yeah. we're just saying hypothetically if yeah. you were going to um yeah. at david on twitter he's got some great locations that's right <laughs> <laughs> um like those celebrity I, maps you get in hollywood here you get body dumping places <laughs> This is going real dark. <laughs> that's, the, that's the way I like to ta- start my uh, podcasts off in the first 15 minutes. I want to talk about dead bodies, goddammit. Um, if you're into your dark tourism, um, I'm just saying, I'm trying to appeal to every niche. Yes. Um, I have been jokingly saying in other podcast episodes, though, that um, you know maybe my angle for 2021 was just to get a bit more right wing. So like, this is just what I'm trying to push. Yes, um, yes. That seems to be a great boost for listening numbers. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Hey. <laughs> I'm just playing to the stats, man. I'm just playing to the stats. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like the only other thing that bothered them was, um, so there was helicopters buzzing continuously over one location. They were filming the Imagine Dragons live Grammy performance that ruined some audio takes. So, um, so it seems the main hindrance to this film were Imagine Dragons and dead bodies, which is uh, a what real day story. isn't what day isn't ruined by the Imagine Dragons? I mean, come on, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. They're our hometown heroes. <laughs> <laughs> he says, gritting his teeth. That's right. Um, if you had to be stuck in a cupboard with one of them, though, uh, I'll let you <laughs> make make your own assumptions. But yeah, as I was saying, um both very uh complimentary of each other but i think something that was interesting and i don't know if this came across to you make in just the sort of the filmmaking or the performance um i think not only was this the sort of first feature length effort of the directors alex and ben brewer prior to this they'd made a few music videos um this was a film that was rehearsed especially for cajun wood they said they rehearsed this in two days basically a weekend Wow, is all they had to rehearse that. Um, I suppose looking at looking back at the performance, do you think that would have that came through for you with that in mind? That's really surprising because, uh, yeah, and and I did see that this is their their only feature, and I don't, I don't think that they've done anything since. Um, although it's only a few years ago, but um, yeah, no, I don't think that came through for me at all. I, I thought that these were pretty solid performances and I, I thought the movie, you know, moved along with the the energy of, you know, a confident director, even though it's, you know, on the lower budget side of things. Uh so yeah, no, I, I think they did a really good job of of hiding that. Yeah, definitely. And I think it speaks to I guess the the, the grind for these low budget films as well with uh, the restraints <laughs> and you know all joking aside you're contending with dead bodies you're contending with the Grammys you've mm-hmm. got uh, two days for your lead stars to hammer the lines in you're rehearsing in a warehouse somewhere um, but I think overall um, it it worked mostly for me I I enjoyed what I saw I think Cage and Elijah Wood did have a good chemistry um and i think i would like to see them together again I, I think um with this film it was one that you know on on paper it's a heist film with mm-hmm. some dark central characters and although um i think just to give a broad analysis of my take it won't go down as the best heist film of all time or the most sure. memorable heist film of all time um it's definitely one that is 
held together by the performance is of mm-hmm. um, Nicolas Cage and Elijah Wood. Um, it, it was kind of for me, and you know, obviously not to intentionally steal your shtick, I couldn't help but start thinking of other things that sort of came into this into this film. And sure, I think definitely with the storyline of um, Jim Stone and David Waters, Cage and Elijah Wood's characters almost came across for me in a way of them or in the writing at least like trying to condense five seasons of breaking bad down into 90 minutes definitely um i don't know like if you sort of got a bit of that or you had a different take at all yeah no absolutely it it reminded me a lot of what um if you remember the uh the breaking bad spin-off movie el camino that just focused mm-hmm. on the jesse character it, this could have been an alternate version of that of, of jesse on the run he finds out about this hidden money and he finds this big you know overly complicated way of getting that money you know and it's just <laughs> they get to show off how clever they are and uh yeah no i i completely thought of breaking bad as a possible puzzle piece as we say over on the piecing it together <laughs> podcast you know, it's like, i didn't want to try and overanalyze it too early and just um start stealing your pieces but no, no, I, no. I, <laughs> I think i just i couldn't help but see a, a very walter white-esque take especially mm-hmm. in, in Cage's character. It's kind of very... Um, obviously, in 90 minutes, you don't have the time to build it like they do in Breaking Bad, but it's a very um, zero to hero... Well, I say hero. Zero to monster <laughs> take, um, as he seems to be this very um, good at his job, but a bit downtrodden, um, a bit overlooked in what he's doing. And I think... I get what they were going for, because I think it kind of felt like they were relying so heavily on the characters in this that they almost had to take a turn with someone in there. Um, Cage did say in an interview, uh, the script provided a character for me that was full of surprises. I thought that I could make him the nicest guy in the world, and all of a sudden he turns into a monster. It's those kinds of characters that are both funny and scary at the same time that I find compelling. It's the sort of role that I'm comfortable with. Um, I think you can definitely tell. You can tell with Cage when he's enjoying the role. Yeah. When he can um, really, and I, th- I think, I think again, to throw a term in here, go Cajian yeah. with it. <laughs> and add that in there. And he did get some great Cage moments as well, um, which you can always find in these films. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He 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 puts it on quite a bit, you know, a, a lot of really great Cajian moments, like you said. Um, but, th- <laughs> but then there's also just like a, a real, like, like arc to the character that i i mean that's that's the reason this works more than just you know your standard direct-to-video thriller i think um you know the the fact that these characters are so uh flawed i guess you know they're they're it's one of those movies where you could just tell from the beginning like these people as smart as they they are they're they're destined to lose like they're just they're never going to get out of this dumb situation they've gotten themselves into. And uh, that that's what I think. I, I love a movie like that, you know, and I think that's why I connected with it so much. Um, you know, another another movie that I was reminded of would be like Fargo um, yeah. or just the Coen brothers in general, really. But that whole kind of crime gone wrong subgenre, this movie, I think, fits like really squarely right into, you know. Yeah, I think um, hitting the nail on the head there, this is definitely one of those films, I think, as it 
starts building a bit of momentum in the sort of the first third, um, you just kind of know it's not going to end well. It's just a case of how we get from point A to point B. Um, I mean, I think I I did like sort of the characterization. You know, they're not super cops by any stretch. You know, they don't necessarily have a history of um, taking the law or the rules into their own hands. They're both both two people who I think very bogged down in the mundanity of their day to day. You know, you've got at the start um, Cage is telling sort of the other techs you know, like how important cigarette butts are for DNA sampling and Elijah Wood's just playing on a drum mas- machine whilst another suspect runs out of a closet and goes upstairs. He's like, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're very average at their job. Yeah. I mean, they're not Again, like we say, they're not super cops. They're not winning yeah. awards. They don't have um, medals of honor and badges and trophies and all of that. I, I don't know what the cop award system is. I'm um, <laughs> I'm just thinking of things I don't have. It's an honor. <laughs> it's an honor to just be nominated. You know, <laughs> <laughs> hey, sometimes it's not about winning. It's just about being there for the race. That's right. Um, you know, take <laughs> take no shame in that. Um, but. They are, you know, just people living day to day. Um, I think, you know, I've I've had jobs like that when it's just like, ah, it's a Monday morning. Here we are, the nine to five. We're back at it again. Um, so I think in in some of that, I could sort of see a sort of connection in that because in a way, I was kind of like, if I had the opportunity and the means to break into a, a, a massive 36-inch uh, steel concrete reinforced safe, would I do it? Yeah. Maybe. I can't, you know, I can't say that 100%. Like, nope, nope, I'm too interested in these cigarette butts. <laughs> well, well an- another part of the, uh, like, the character development that I really like, uh, aside from, you know, their, their level of... Uh, you know how good they're at their jobs also their their personal lives aren't exactly going well especially elijah wood's character i i love that bit in the beginning where um it's pretty clear that his his wife or girlfriend has left and uh he picks up one of her shirts and picks up the cat poop with it um (laughs) it's just it, it, it smells it for a second the shirt like you know it's like a memory of the girl uh even though you never meet her or anything like that you never really get to know her but you just know that there was something there and then it's like oh this will work as a towel i guess (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's um i think plays the strength of performances again it's one of those things where it's like um you you kind of get these hints of lives they could have had or have had that have sort of led them to make this decision i think there was enough there that their decision to um rob this safe uh and go down this path of investigating what's going on it, it doesn't feel out of the blue it, it does feel believable enough um obviously cage is living with his um with his father um who's who when uh elijah wood comes is like oh um who's your friend like who's the cop it's like we're, we're both cops dad yeah. so <laughs> he's still living still living with an embarrassing father in there as well um and i think you know we've all had those embarrassing parent moments um just for cage i think he's a 50 year old man at the time so you know for mm-hmm. some people it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't always go away 
My advice is just don't add them on Facebook. Um, yes. <laughs> smart. Smart. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I believe as well on the subject of the father, it was um, sort of the late great American comic Jerry Lewis as well. Um, mm-hmm. His final film performance um, at the insistence of Cage um, brought him over to the project. I was going to look that up before we started. This was his his final performance, wasn't it? That's crazy. Yeah, um, I think he had maybe uh, a, a minute of screen time in total. Um, mm-hmm. I think Cage said in an interview for Jerry Lewis, someone he admires, one of the few people he's nervous about acting in front of. Um, which you kind of think with a man like Cage, what makes him nervous? Right. Um, but the career he's had, Jerry Lewis is one is one of the answers there. Wow, well, that's a that's a great uh, motivation for casting someone as your father. I mean, that you know, if you're going to be, if it's someone you're going to be nervous in front of, definitely. I, um, I think he said as well. He, he sort of felt like he didn't even have to act with yeah. something like that. Um, he was just let the nervousness guide him as he was just trying to convince his dad that he's a good cop. Um, as you know, who hasn't had a career conversation with their parent and also says, I know, I know what I'm doing. Just yeah. let this happen. Um, but it's, it's, it's quite um, almost out of cage in Snowden of sort of <laughs> following this, a very blink and you'll miss it role in there. Um, right. Yeah. When, was, when uh, I watched this with my dad actually. And, uh, when when Jerry Lewis showed up, my dad was like, "What is Jerry Lewis doing in this?" You know, he was like so excited to see him. Well, this is what I say. You know, you can't tell me that um, in any Cage film there isn't something for everyone. That's right. Every- <laughs> he's he's a, he's a box ticker. He's a crowd pleaser. And my mm-hmm. God, as we've said before, the man's got pull. Um, yes. Which sort of you know, love to see it as well. Um, one of the other things was sort of the little character choices that they make as well. You know, Cage has um, some eccentricities, which, you know, I should trust the character, not the person. We all know about the person with respect. Mm. One of the eccentricities was at the start when he's trying to um, get Elijah Wood's character on board. He takes him to this bar and... And say, look, I've seen this bail report. This low-level drug deal has been bailed out for two hundred thousand dollars. You know, we both know that doesn't make sense. And at the same time, he's just throwing Tabasco on a lemon slice. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, um, you know, I, I, I suspect I might know the answer here, but is that a Las Vegas thing? Is that just a cage thing? <laughs> it's definitely something I've done before because I remember uh, in, in my more partying days, uh, my friend would make me uh it was like a lemon slice with hot sauce and bitters and it was supposed to get rid of hiccups um but i i don't remember if it actually worked because i was drunk at the time obviously uh (laughs) but um yeah definitely not as a snack though let's put it that way that's definitely a cage thing i can't imagine there are people (laughs) in vegas doing that uh but just to point it out though the um the bar that they're at that's the pepper mill and that is like a las vegas institution that place is awesome right and um I was I was wondering like how much of it was I think pure Las Vegas I think as you said at the start I think everything we see is very much in Las Vegas um, I suppose when they're at the <laughs> when they're at the bar as well they're not sort of eating a Tabasco lemon wedges um, there was something funny to me when Elijah Woods just sat at the bar and just looks over at the bar is like is that guy getting a hand job and then they just drop it and move on 
Um, uh-huh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and again, with respect to the pepper mill, dare I ask, is that something that happens at the pepper mill that you're likely to see? I haven't seen it myself, but uh, I would not be surprised. <laughs> Dead bodies, hand jobs in Imagine Dragons, Las Vegas in a nutshell. Um, oh, yeah. I, d- I, I did like sort of the culmination of that scene, though. Um, he's convincing um, Elijah to have that lemon Tabasco slice, and then he spits it out and he's like, "What? You, do you enjoy this? He's like, no, it's disgusting. <laughs> there's, there's just <laughs> perfect. no elaboration at all. It's just <laughs> a quirk, a quirk that he has. Um, and as I said, a lot of a lot of the dad humor that comes in. Um, there's there's one thing that he says later about the um, about the drill. I'm trying to think about. The, oh, he says, "Okay, you know the drill, and they're drilling." Part of it was like, uh... "That would rule." <laughs> I loved it. That was such a good line. <laughs> it's definitely a dad joke, but uh, I I very much appreciated it. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the thing, and I think Cage in general, I think, doesn't always get um, enough credit for his comedy chops. Like, obviously, he can he can do it. He can do it quite well. You know, as we saw a lot of in adaptation, sort of, you know, going back sort of 20 years here, um, there's been sort of sporadic films in between. He's had the likes of, um, you know, you Peggy Sue's got married. We get sort of the darker comedy side of things here. Um, and in, in some, some voice roles as well, I mean, like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, like he can bring us these things and it touches on something I said earlier. It's always it's always surprising when you get these bits and pieces of Cage that aren't just a YouTube compilation of him screaming. Um, right, right. Uh, you know, Again, I think Cage... He's not interested in realism. I think that goes without saying at this point, but he's got all these other layers to him. And I think you get a whole sort of gambit of different bits and pieces of Cage in here as well. Yeah, he seems to really love weird characters, whether whether yeah. they're weird in a realistic way or weird in uh, you know, totally out there bonkers way. But um yeah, for for him, no character is going to just be just a very straightforward kind of person. No, not at all. Um, you're always going to get that um, that that cagey icing on top of on top of the cake. I think he said with the the script as well. Um, I think once him and Elijah Wood had got the two days of rehearsal out of the way, um, he said you want to get the scenes down to where the script is serviced. But once you have that, you know, let's find the jazz. We would go off book. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of the humor in the movie came from. And um, I, I've I've said this sort of unironically before. Like Cage is the the acting embodiment of jazz in that you it can go anywhere, and in a weird way, mm-hmm. it makes it makes sense. It does, yeah. It it, it ends up working. Uh, it, it, well, I shouldn't say it always ends up working, <laughs> but when it ends up working, it is uh, it's a beautiful thing to see, much like jazz. <laughs> he likes to. Um, Take that jazz improvisation, and sometimes, you know, I'm not a musician. Who's for me to say how long a, a, a trumpet solo should go on for? But um, he's a man that loves to toot. <laughs> I think I th- <laughs> a man that loves to toot. I like that. <laughs> if if you can pull quote one thing about my uh, my take on Cage, the guy's a tooter. Um, <laughs> he sure is, <laughs> and I won't have anyone say otherwise. 
Um, but then, I think as we were saying earlier, you know, we get that um, the, the sort of hints of the darkness that come through and the sort of the twist into, as we referenced, like the, the Walter White sort of coming out, the the monster coming out. Um, I'm not sure if you sort of see it earlier. Obviously, at the start, he's been told by his direct um, superior to go and secure a tractor at a um, uh, like evidence auction lot or something. They're just selling off a John Doe. So he definitely doesn't feel, um, I guess, appreciated or utilised. Uh, then when he's mapping out the plan in that sort of open space in that hotel, he's making Elijah Wood's character put down the $10,000 for the uh, for the floor drill. Um, so you, you, get, you get the sense, and I think this is something like Elijah Wood's character touches on towards the end, like you get the sense he knows what he's doing. Um, that he's been he's been waiting for this. Um, it was just waiting for the right patsy to sort of come along. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, he know, he knows enough German to um, call up diamond drill bit operators. <laughs> yeah that that's when that's when the character starts to become uh, very movie. You know, yeah. very like like this guy in real life. That's one piece that would not be there <laughs> you know that that's it's clearly a a genre uh thriller movie <laughs> i did i did like it that part you know the um they sort of cut back and forth between him speaking to um uh the worker and he's and the worker's like this is clearly a bank robber this is so cool um which i i kind of think if you get if you get that call and you know, this is clearly someone up for no good. I, like, would you have a moral a moral duty to be like, I don't think I should sell you this diamond drill bit. But I, I, I mean, it's happening in a different country, so does it even uh, does it even matter? <laughs> I suppose it's just how nice you are on the call. As long as he can use your phone voice, your indoor voice, then <laughs> well, uh, that's right. We'll give you we'll give you what you want. Um, Obviously, saying him saying about him being prepared for this, um, we get that scene a little later when the drive belt breaks, but they've got no spares. Um, and then he does also have the line in there, like, a, "I have an idea. It's kind of wacky." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, it's wacky." And then there's the way you say wacky, like. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite... yeah that that's beautiful just cage right there that's that's total cage it was there was parts of the character he was i think as it started building um momentum towards them cracking the safe it was kind of like when was elijah wood's character gonna sort of uh, become aware that not all was what it seemed there as well because mm -hmm. he was sort of hiding the darkness quite well um using his vacation days to go and to go undercover at the hotel. Um, he's dancing with them in that lobby um, and just getting on with everyone. I suppose I, yeah. I suppose I thought they were going to maybe sort of delve into that a bit more because there was definitely um, a larger crime um, or syndicate maybe there, but it's like that just was kind of like, a side dish to what was happening that was just their entrance into the world 
yeah, if this was like a series, like a like a Breaking Bad we mentioned earlier, like it, it definitely would have you know expanded out into all of who those people are and who the people in, in the apartment were and all that stuff. But in this, it's just really just focused in on these two characters, um, and everything else is just things that are happening to them. So it's like you don't really get to know too much about these other people. Um, you know, I wanted to point out one other uh, cageism is. Uh, when he's he's yelling uh, David's name, David is uh, Elijah Wood's character. He's like David, David. <laughs> no, that was pretty great. Being a David myself, uh, that was pretty great. I should make that my ringtone. I think. <laughs> Although when it uh, when it goes off in public and you're like, I'm not crazy. It's Nicolas Cage. It's a Nicolas Cage movie from 2016. You probably haven't heard of it, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> it might be a bit too art house for you. I think. Yeah. Um, well, my my license plate is Klepa from uh, from the movie Pootie Tang. So <laughs> I, 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 I have very uh, esoteric movie references in my life all over the place, <laughs> from cars to phones and everything in between. Um, That's right. I, I suppose to sort of um, unless I can think of another one, the other, I think the biggest, arguably the biggest cageism in the film is when he's pinned David against the wall and he's like, "Open it! Open it! Open it!" Open it, open it, open it. Um, I was like, excellent. I was like, yes, there it is, there it is. Like he, like he will come out to play in. You, you give him an inch, he will take a kg in mile, which I'm not sure the metric conversion for a kg in mile. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I was kind of just thinking, like you know, you're Elijah Wood. You've had sort of two days to rehearse. And he's, you know, going back to the interviews he's given, he's been very um, open about the joy he's had to work with Nicolas Cage. He said he was not a disappointment by any means, totally inspiring. Mm. I suppose when you're there, you know, you've got Cage maybe centimeters from your face, hair slicked back, that full mustache, and he's screaming, open it. You, You know, now I'm not a professional actor by any means. I've not done any professional acting work, but I just think if it was me... I, I think I would have lost it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would have been able to hold it together at all. Well, and, and you know, speaking to a quote you mentioned earlier um, about uh, where Cage said that he wanted to make this guy like the nicest guy, but he's like a monster, you know, like that is the scene right there, you know, where it's like, because this guy, he really is like in his own kind of like dumb silly kind of way he really is like a charming guy i mean it's nicholas cage come on <laughs> but you know one once he just starts exploding on him it's like it's like oh okay that this is under the surface the whole time yeah like it's that sort of um that sort of jekyll hyde monster was always there and i think it's yeah. most obvious when they get to the apartment obviously they've got this meticulous plan to sort of um you know they've they've staked out the convenience store they realize it's completely unguarded on sundays which seems like an oversight if you're going to ask me but again i'm not a criminal enterprise i'm I'm not there to tell criminals who might be listening how to go about your business and hiding diamonds and gems and other such things um but it's all thought out but then they um you know didn't seem prepared for the two people in the apartment um but then, you know, there's this whole question of who those people actually are, which becomes a whole different question as the film comes towards the end as well. Um, and obviously we're jumping ahead a bit here, but they've got a guy 
um, like a man and a woman. I think they're just called man and woman in the film. Um, mm -hmm. They sort of tie them up. Cage kills the man like off screen because he's spat in his face. His only question of concern is that he goes to uh, Waters, Elijah Wood's character, and just asks, did you hear that? Um, so he wasn't really bothered that he had to take a life. It seemed kind of par for the course for him. I think that was kind of maybe one of my only sort of issues with his character. Again, obviously, a lot of stuff had to be done inside 90 minutes, but although we got some of the hints, I think some of the more extreme stuff came quite suddenly. There was the drug dealer Bobo that he shot in the face as well. Um, and that for me was, I will admit, I was a little bit shocked at that because I was like, didn't expect it at all um was it sort of mm -hmm. similar for you when you get the, those much darker delvings into the character of jim stone you know it's funny because i hadn't really thought of it that way until now i i guess it's just kind of a like a trapping of this genre of like you know these kinds of you know gritty thrillers you know especially you know anything involving criminals uh, I don't know. I guess I'm just so used to these kinds of guys killing people like it's nothing <laughs> that it just didn't even like really, you know, uh, you know, factor into how I felt about the character. Uh, you know, we were just talking about uh, the, the scene where he's shouting in Elijah Wood's face. I think that's the first time I started to turn on him. So it's like even even when he kills someone, it kind of I don't think I batted an eye, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> says a lot about me i guess <laughs> <laughs> just another las vegas guy walking around dead bodies um mm -hmm. again i think you know maybe in a, in a weird way it comes back to that very walter white kind of thing when even though with breaking bad walter white is unequivocally the bad guy in the show because you've been on that journey with him you do it's like a weird Stockholm syndrome. You, you kind of root for him because you've been with him for so long. Um, yeah. And I kind of wonder if, you know, even though you could probably tell whereabouts this film was going, if it was going to be the same thing with Cage, um, he's sort of desperate to pull this score. He's killed two guys, you know, didn't really see that this was in him. Now they're both dead. Um, and Elijah Wood, even though he's not, perfect by any stretch of the imagination who is effectively the sort of kind of moral compass of the mm -hmm. film as well um did i suppose for elijah woods we we have to try and uh see the light here um but with with that uh, again sort of skipping ahead you know he doesn't get out of it scot-free either um you know when it got to the ending i that for me was a little, I guess I'm still trying to, you know, sort in my head. Did I like it? Did I not? I think my immediate gut instinct to the ending was, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit disappointing. Um, mm -hmm. What was your sort of take on the ending? I agree. Uh, the The weakest part of the movie for me was the ending. I feel like they wrote this setup and kind of didn't have an idea of how this thing should really kind of wrap itself up. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, all of these characters are essentially uh, introduced in the last like five minutes. Um, <laughs> like this whole syndicate of people of like hitmen or whatever the hell they are that, that are coming after their drug money or whatever it is. Um, and, and I do appreciate that 
you know, you're kind of as in the dark as the characters were, you know, that like they got themselves into this crazy situation that you're following them into. And then it goes really, really bad at the end. And you're just kind of along for the ride of like, oh, shit, what's happening now? I, I, I like that in a way. But at the same time, you know, we, we just spent all this time with these characters. I kind of wish, you know, there is there's a little more of a uh, wrapping it up other than, you know, they just die. <laughs> yeah, <You know? laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you can argue it's justified in one sense because I suppose, like the way they find out about the convenience store in the first place, you know, all of this this crime, this criminal enterprise, is kind of the backdrop to their characters finding it. You know, we're entering it and seeing this narrow viewpoint in the same way that they do. Um, you know, the, the people they take hostage in the apartment—they've got guns in the walls we don't know anything about them um and then with the the woman character you know we think there's some kind of um a character we can empathize with there she says i've got a three-year-old son uh you know can i just make a call to the father turns out that was just coded funky town talks to uh, another some hitmen um and then (laughs) Uh, Elijah mm-hmm. Wood gets shot in the face, um, and then you kind of get that ending of their belongings going back into evidence. So you, you kind of see, you know, it, I don't know if there was a message here. It's so much, um, you know, can we really escape the mundanity of life? If I'm stretching for <laughs> for sense in all of this, um, mm-hmm. but, but I, I agree. I think it. it this was the weakest part for me. It did feel a bit flat. Um, I think I just wanted Elijah Wood to make it out. Um, even Cage, like I wasn't even aware that he was dead, dead because he was on the floor after that really strange shootout when he shot in the neck, shot through the wall. I thought he was going to do a very horror style sit up and scream kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Almost felt like, maybe, you know, Again, maybe I'm just reaching. Maybe they're believing something open for the trust too. This time we trust less, but um, <laughs> um, I don't know. It just maybe that was the point, though, just to be a, disapp- a disappointing ending. Like crime is not the answer. Crime doesn't pay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean that. That again to to take it back to uh, the Coen Brothers. I mean that is kind of a touchstone of of a lot of their their films. That in the end. Uh, you know, nothing really works out for anybody. Yeah. Um, nothing works out for them. Nothing works out for Cage, Elijah Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, the only people who prosper, kind of, are the people who are already in crime. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, there's there's no sort of uh, moral takeaway from this. A lot is just left ambiguous and dark. Um like the other cop character who has already got the into the black market of guns and illegal weaponry, he seems mm-hmm. to do all right. Um, the woman whose apartment she was in, she's still alive. That's something. Um, <laughs> it's like you know, it's kind of like if you if you play your cards right, one day you may end up in an evidence locker as well. Yeah. Um, so. I was kind of, I was sort of writing my notes for the episode. And I was like, I wish I could try and get like a more positive spin to end this on. <laughs> it's a it's a dark movie, and I think I think that's why I liked it so much. You know, because I I do tend to like you know dark movies, and I I, I like to I like characters that are you know 
morally not, you know, not on the right side of things. And so, you know, I, I think that's a lot of the elements of it that I did like. Like I said, um, the ending I felt left a little bit to be desired. But uh, up until that point, though, I I had a lot more fun with this movie than I expected to. A hundred percent. Totally agreed. Um, I think the Rotten Tomatoes rating, if you take those into consideration, 63%, I'd say fair. Fair. Yeah, it's not and that's not bad. I mean, you yeah. know, generally speaking, a lot of these kind of, you know, direct to video type movies, especially in this genre, um, are probably way lower than that, I'd imagine. Definitely. A hundred percent. Um I think it's it, it's like we've said, you know, it's not um gonna be the, the greatest or most memorable heist film in the world i think the ending leaves a little bit to be desired but it's a great pairing of cage and wood here they've got really good chemistry i would love to see more personally um and it's there is a lot of fun to be had here i feel like there's um with respect to the writers and directors you can tell it's a first effort there is it's well shot and well enough put together there are the seeds of maybe a better movie or series in here that to elaborate mm-hmm. on but i think hey if it was my first effort if i got nicholas cage on board i wouldn't be disappointed with it that's right yeah absolutely um i one other thing i wanted to mention uh this being shot in vegas and this was part of the reason why i wanted to see it uh for so long even though i i didn't jump at the chance when it was in the theater here um and then it just kind of went in the you know the pile of things that I'll maybe <laughs> one day get to uh but a lot of a lot of Vegas local actors that some of them I've worked with cuz you know I do you know music for films mm-hmm. uh a lot of small independent things here in Vegas and uh Joe pa- uh, Palabinski uh he had a fairly major role in the opening scene he was the other cop at the crime scene the older guy oh, uh, I've worked with him on a bunch of things so it was great seeing him in a movie with Nicolas Cage and Elijah Wood um Ashley Campbell Tommy Vegas uh and they had much smaller parts but they were also in there and um yeah I mean it was cool I I, I'm looking at the cast list and I see a couple names I didn't I didn't notice that they were in there but apparently there were you know extras or small little you know bit parts that their names that I recognize so uh yeah Vegas represent that's cool (laughs) You'd just be calling people up like, you didn't tell me you work with Nicolas Cage. What the hell is right. this all about? <laughs> like, and hopefully, if, like I say, if, if the golden hog of Hollywood shines down on us all, maybe one day you'll be scoring that Cage film. Maybe. That's that's pretty much my number one goal. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to see that happen. Please, Hollywood, make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll call my people. We'll be in touch. Uh, <laughs> but I think on, on that positive note, that's the one I was looking for. Um, nice. We will look to start wrapping things up here. Um, I suppose, David, your, your final thoughts on the trust. Uh, final thoughts on the trust is it's been way too long since I've had a Pops cheesesteak. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they go for cheesesteaks at Pops on Decatur and that place is awesome. Um, but no, yeah, th- this is, um, I think it's much better than a lot of movies in this genre. I mean, we've, we've all seen these direct to video thrillers, um, you know, the crime gone wrong kind of thriller, the, the bad cop thriller. And I just think it does it really well. And I was very surprised by this movie. And I think you get just the right amount of, uh, good actor Nicolas Cage and crazy Nicolas Cage kind of blended together in, into a, uh, really great character. And so I, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. 
Wonderful stuff. Well, we sort of wrap things up there. Uh, David Rosen, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, just to tell the listeners, where can we find you? Sure, yeah. You can find Piecing It Together on any of the podcast apps and uh, also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And if you want to check out my music, uh, bydavidrosen.com. I've got a bunch of albums under the name David Rosen that are available. And of course, uh, you can find links to some of the films I've worked on on that website. Amazing. All the links in the description below. But we'll end things there. Uh, David, once again, thank you so much for joining me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we will see you in the next episode. But thank you for listening. If you have been, we'll see you in the next one. But until then, keep on, keep on caging. That's all you have to do. Take care. Bye-bye. I love your little uh, catchphrases and all that stuff. That's great. <laughs>